what land improvements do. Now, when you own a mobile home park, the majority of what you're buying is land improvements. Believe it or not, you have the pavement, right? Because land has a certain value wherever you are. The, the land value is the land value. What's going on, guys? This is Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Thank you for tuning in. Thrilled to be talking with you today. Today, we have a great interview with Yona Weiss from Madison Specs. Today, you're going to learn about cost segregation and depreciation for real estate investors. Specifically, we talk about multifamily, but this concept of cost segregation applies to all types of real estate. So you're going to learn all about that today. It's a great way to reduce your tax bill and increase your return. If you're new to the show, a little bit about me. My name is Taylor. I'm a real estate investor. I buy multifamily real estate with investors. I'm a busy professional just like you. Have a day job, love what I do, and I also love working on building my wealth in my spare time. I'm here to help you grow your wealth by bringing you interviews with the best people in the real estate industry today. Yona is a prominent cost segregation thought leader, so this is a great topic to learn and a great guy to learn from. Once again, thank you for tuning in. Here's the interview with Yona Weiss. Yona Weiss, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Happy to talk with you. We're going to talk about cost segregation studies, especially in, in multifamily real estate. It's a really, really big topic. And even though I've been, I'm involved with cost segregation studies, I don't really know if I fully understand what it means. So can you teach us at least, the, we'll start with the basics of what is a cost segregation study? So yeah, the basics are it is a way to get more tax deduction. A little more, a little more complex than that. So again, we're getting more tax deductions for property owners. The way that we do that is an engineering-based study, which means an engineer who is well-versed in the tax laws of how this actually works, and maybe I'll explain a little bit how it works. An engineer comes and assesses the property and is able to um, tell what depreciates on what type of lifespan. So let's back up for a second. Uh, a, a second, because depreciation sounds like a negative thing, right? Yeah. But but it's really a, a really positive thing. It's actually just a borrowed term when we're talking about taxes. Um, depreciation means like something's going down in value, right? Devaluing for tax purposes. And what we're going to talk about tonight is that. Depreciation actually means you're getting a tax write-off of the entire value of your property based on the principle that things go down in value as time goes on. But your property is actually appreciating. It's actually going up in value. So this is something really important to keep in mind. That's what depreciation is. It's probably one of the greatest gifts that um, the IRS gave to real estate owners and what comes even more out of that is what conservation is like a really like uh it's the best way to say it's like a, I like to say it's like depreciation on steroids but i think that joke's getting old already <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's it it's just a you know really beefed up way of taking depreciation what we're doing is 
uh, building, a commercial building depreciates or the lifespan that the IRS gave for commercial buildings 39 years and for residential, which includes multifamily, is 27 and a half years, which translates to layman's terms, if you buy a building for a million dollars, you can now write off the entire million dollars over the span of 27 and a half years. Um, a write-off means that you take a deduction from your income tax, right? You have income, right? $100,000 of income. You deduct from that, you know, let's say $20,000, that depreciation deduction, and then you're only taxed on the remaining 80. That's in simple terms what uh, the depreciation tax deduction looks like. Cost segregation, you know, the word means we're segregating the costs of the building, meaning, and I don't know why they gave it this weird word. It used to be called component depreciation, which makes a I lot like more sense. like that a little more, yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I think I'm gonna start like retro, you know, going retro with the component depreciation. People are gonna be like, wow, is this some new sort of thing we're doing yeah. now? <laughs> like, no, I'm the component depreciation expert. No, but um, what it means is that we look at the building, an engineer comes and looks at the building and assesses every tiny detail of what's in there. So you may have, you know, um, the structure of the building actually is written off, has depreciation life of 27 and a half years, but the personal property and stuff in the building, like furniture, appliances, you know, cabinets and multifamily properties, the countertops, stuff that's not structural, it all depreciates on a five-year basis, wow. which means you can write off the entire value of that if you can determine what the value is of those things, you can write that off in five years, which is a much faster life. Um, and so it's a much greater tax deductions earlier on. And this is essentially what cost segregation is. And, um, you know, in a simple, simplified version of how it works. Nice. Okay. Perfect. So the next step that I have in my, uh, uh, cloudy uh, competence in this area, I guess if you, maybe I should be less uh, self-deprecating about this, but uh, the actual tax implications for your average passive investor in a real estate syndication. So your average passive investor, probably not a real estate professional, which is a concept we've covered on the show, filing for tax purposes uh, or mm -hmm. filing status for tax purposes. So like who can benefit from the uh, depreciation uh, or the cost segregation um, depreciation deduction. Like, what does that really mean uh, for the passive investor in a syndication? Um, so the first thing we're always going to do is looking at the the income that's produced from the property. And generally speaking, if you're not a real estate professional, so you don't get to benefit. Um, very much from the income, the deductions created with depreciation or conservation outside of the income from the property. Because the IRS looks at income from your property is considered passive income. And it's treated differently than your active uh, W-2 income or other types of active income, which means that depreciation uh, and the cost segregation, which again is just creating more depreciation earlier on, is can only be used to offset the income from the properties or from passive income. Now, if you have a bunch of properties or you have other passive income, which could be, you know, business, uh, passive business interests, if you have a certain amount of uh, 
you know, shares in the business. Stocks and bonds do not qualify as passive income. That's a different category and it's taxed on a different, um, you know, a different level entirely. But so generally speaking, we're looking at the income from the properties. So the first thing we look at is depreciation offsets that. And so um, the greatest thing that a, a passive investor may be looking at is saying, okay, I'm getting returns from the property. I'm investing in, I'm getting whatever it is, an 8% return. Um, but you're going to be taxed on that, right? Because it's income, it's passive income. So what we're trying to do is depreciating, you know, depreciation deductions, getting as much as possible to make sure that at least that income that you're creating through the real estate investments is tax-free. And so I, I think that's the biggest um, part of the picture for the passive investor. Okay, so it's, it's creating paper losses, in a sense, Correct. against the passive income from rental activities in the syndication yeah. from a passive investor standpoint. Okay, Correct. so that makes sense. So when we go to then sell the property, there's going to be there's going to be depreciation recapture and things like that. How does the how does this all uh, what happens when we go to sell the property if we've if we've taken this you know, I guess accelerated depreciation whatever you want to call it and mm -hmm. uh, so what does that mean for us when we go to sell? When you sell any property, right? Like you, you touched on, you have something called depreciation recapture tax which means you're taxed on the amount of depreciation that you took over the course of ownership of the property. Now, you know, if you're taking depreciation every single year, which you're required to, and when you sell the property, you have to pay a tax at 25% rate based on that amount uh, that, you, uh, that you took. Now, if you didn't take depreciation, let's just take that example, because this is something, a question that comes up, at least I see on bigger pockets all the time. I'm sure you've seen this question, right? Like, I didn't take depreciation. I've owned this property. Do I still have to pay depreciation recapture tax? And it's crazy, but you do. IRS considers it as if you took that depreciation, even if you didn't actually take those deductions over the course of ownership. So you can't get around it. Um, actually, I take that back. You can get around it. And there's two ways to get around it. Number one way to get around depreciation capture tax is doing a 1031 exchange out of the property. Now, if you're a syndicator or you're passing investor in a syndication, it's pretty unlikely that you're going to do that. It can be done. It's a little more complicated and requires, uh, you know, some attorneys doing a little extra work. And so the syndicators may not want to do that. It is done. I've seen it done. I work with people that do that all the time. You create a different type of entity that buys the property or that sells it, and it can be done. You have to speak to an expert in order to do it. However, if you own a regular property, okay, you should know that that depreciation capture tax, just like capital gains tax, gets deferred if you 1031 exchange. Okay, that's the first way to get around it. The second way, which is probably more likely in a case of a syndication with your passive investors, because again, not likely anyone was going to do a 1031 exchange. The second more likely event is a tax strategy that many property owners use and many accountants uh, use the strategy and it's called partial asset disposition, which means in layman's terms, if you were taking the personal property, again, all that furniture, the fixtures, all that stuff, and we're saying it depreciates over five years. Now what happens Five years from now, I go and sell the property after a five-year hold. Um, in, in all, 
intents and purposes, the value, at least from a tax perspective, the value of that furniture in the five-year personal property has no more value, right? Because it's already been depreciated, meaning mm -hmm. I've already taken the write-off from that. It's already, it already doesn't have value. And so there's an actual tax form that you can fill out upon the sale of a property, which you can allocate a lower value, a much, 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 much lower value to all of your personal property in the property. Which means when you do that, what happens is you're saying, yeah, this um, you know air conditioning unit, right? That uh, you know costs five thousand dollars. So I wrote it off for five years, took a thousand dollar deduction every year for five years. Now five years later, I'm going to sell it. I am applying a much lower value to it, saying this thing is really only worth a hundred dollars because it's you know from a tax perspective, it has no value anymore. It has to have some value because it's still there. The IRS allows you to do that, which means you're only going to pay the recapture tax on the $100 value and not on the $5,000 value. So instead of paying 25% on the $5,000, which is, you know, $1,250, you're going to end up paying, you know, $25 on, uh, or on the $100 value. So that's a very, that that's the, probably the most important thing in here to my mind is if they're going to recapture all the depreciation anyway, and you don't have any way to adjust the, your, your basis, if you will, then, mm -hmm. well, you know, this, at the end of the day, this isn't really gaining me much, but if our say basis in our sale goes down because the personal property is valued differently at the sale compared right. to when we purchased, then that really impacts our our taxes at the end of the year. Exactly. Now, this is, you know, obviously this is something that needs to be done through the main entity, through the seller that they're doing this. And this isn't, I should just uh, clarify, this does not mean that you have to put that value on the actual sales agreement. Okay, there's something totally different from putting, you know, personal property on a sales agreement. Uh, you may have seen on a purchase sales agreement, you may have seen on a closing statement where, you know, let's say personal property is given a value to it. That you don't need to do that. It's just a tax form, uh, which means that the guy who's buying it, and this is really the crazy part of cost information, is that, like I said before, it's really theoretical. It's like this borrowed term. It's theoretical because when you buy a property, that's when depreciation starts. It doesn't start when the property was built. Now, it does start when the property was built in the yep. first place, but if you buy an already existing property that was built in 1917, right? You start depreciating it from day one, the day that you buy it. Um, and so if you buy a property for a million dollars, you know, today in 2019, and then sell that property five years from now for $10 million. So when you bought it, you're taking that tax write off and you can accelerate that depreciation to take all that five year, all the furniture, everything, write it off in the first five years. The guy five years from now, buys it at $10 million, and now he can start his depreciation over from scratch for $10 million, and the same exact furniture that not only you took the depreciation on, but then upon sale, you allocated you know, 2% value to it. The guy can now go and claim 100% value on that, on his tax returns, because he's starting over depreciation fresh from day one when he purchased it, which is crazy. That is crazy. I think this... Um you know, your average invest or your, maybe your average, like a W2 employee doesn't have a lot of tax advantages available 
to them. But once we get into real estate investing, this is really what separates, say, the 1% from everybody else is there are a lot of tax advantages to investing in real estate and investing in other cash flowing businesses. Exactly. Exactly. Very important difference. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot, a lot here. And again, this is, it's a bit complicated stuff and it's going to affect the passive investor um, to a certain extent. However, it's, you know, maybe I should just go down this road because what happens if you don't, you know, you don't do the 1031 exchange and you don't do the partial asset disposition and you're just, you know, faced with, um, you know, the income tax savings and benefit upfront earlier on. And then later on, when you go to sell, you have, you're hit with a tax bill, um, you know, coming out of nowhere on the depreciation recapture. Now it's obviously not fun, right? <laughs> to get taxes when you weren't expecting it. However, I mean, on the other on the flip side of things, you're getting a huge amount of tax deductions up front, which means that the money that you're making is tax-free money. And therefore, you can use that money to create, you know, to reinvest and to create more wealth from that. And the actual difference between, you know, the amount of money that you're making on that money compounded tax-free is actually a lot more you know, then, you know, what you're going to have to pay in taxes later on. It's that, um, it's that snowball effect, really, when you, you have more to reinvest at the beginning, then, you know, you grow a lot more later. Now, I'm curious, we, we've talked about multifamily here. How does this apply to other real estate asset classes like self-storage or mobile home parks are the other two big ones? I mean, I invest in self-storage. I don't invest in mobile home parks at this point, but um, do they have different, uh, you know, abilities to use uh, this personal property uh, difference in the, the depreciation timetable or what does that look like? Yeah, there, every property, first of all, every type of property has depreciation as long as it's an investment property or business property. Your personal residence does not get this depreciation deduction. It's only for business or um, investment properties. So self-storage is a great example, um, but I'll just take it back. Any commercial property, besides for multifamily, um, has a 39-year schedule, which means that the whole building, the structural component, which is the majority component of properties, is on a 39-year schedule. We're reallocating stuff to faster lives, and that doesn't change the categories. Uh, Five-year personal property, there's tons, I mean, there's over a dozen different categories of assets that would fit into the five-year personal property, you have land improvements, which is a 15-year asset class, which means you can front load, you know, the landscaping, the asphalt, pavements, you know, fencing, uh, signage, stuff like that. All of that, anything outside the building is on a 15-year schedule. So other commercial properties may have a lot more of that. Um, you know, retail or self-storage may have a big parking lot, et cetera. But other than the actual structural component, which is, instead of 27 and a half for residential, it's 39 years for commercial. That's the real main difference. And every type of property is going to have different uh, assets, you know, that go fit into those categories. So for example, you know, in a, uh, in a multifamily property, personal property would include stuff like carpeting or cabinetry, um, you know, countertops, whereas a self-storage unit isn't going to have any of that stuff. But it's going to have other things that fit into that category, especially when we're dealing with climate control, 
um, self-storage, all of that is very expensive and actually is considered five-year personal property. Uh, but you'll have other things like, um, you know, the electronics, the security systems, the, um, the doors, you know, if you have certain type of doors that are uh, more movable, if you have partitions inside of the uh, movable partitions inside of the, the properties, et cetera, there's a lot going on. So, you know, in retail or office is going to have other stuff that would fit into those categories. But at the end of the day, we're looking usually between, you know, 20 and 40% of the building can be reallocated to these faster lives. Wow. Okay. So what about, um, uh, where, I don't know, maybe you said it, maybe I missed it. Uh, mobile homes, they have park owned homes in a mobile right. home park. How do they uh, qualify and the things inside them and everything? How do they fall? Right. So park-owned homes are same things like multifamily, right? When you're dealing with the, the real um, advantage of mobile home parks, really over almost every other type of asset class that's out there from a tax perspective is when you're dealing with tenant-owned homes. So you're dealing with a park that you just own. You just own the park. You just own the land, Right. Wrong. You don't just own the land. You you actually own you actually own the land improvements, which I mentioned before. Land improvements is actually considered um, a totally different thing than land because land itself doesn't depreciate, but mm -hmm. land improvements do. Now, when you own a mobile home park, the majority of what you're buying is land improvements. Believe it or not, you have the pavement. Because right, land has a certain value wherever you are. The, the land value is the land value. It's not going to go up just because you don't have anything on the land, right? Um, when you do have something on the land, you have land improvement. You have the pads underneath every home. That's all concrete. That's all 15-year property. You have you know, landscaping if you have any. Not many mobile homes have you know, great landscaping, but the ones that do right, are going to have that. The pavement, you know, asphalt, driveways, whatever, the, the roads. So mobile home parks, I've seen when it's solely tenant-owned homes, I've seen literally between, um, as opposed to where multifamily is in the 20 to 30% category of, of reclassification of assets, which means that's what you're gonna front load. Mobile home parks is more like between 50 and 80% Wow. that. Yeah, it's crazy. Wow, so that I guess that remaining balance really is just uh, the land. I mean, what else is it gonna? Right. There is some structural components to it. Um, you know, sewage uh, pipes is considered structural. Uh, if you have septic tanks and stuff like that, those are considered structural and have a value to it that's going to depreciate on a 27 and a half year schedule. But yeah, in, in mobile home parks, there's not much more. Wow. Interesting. I, <laughs> I did not know that. You're, uh, you're really opening my eyes here. And, and to the folks out there listening, this is definitely, clearly this is worth spending a, a lot of time learning about because it's a huge opportunity to decrease your tax bill and also increase the amount uh, you, of funds you have available to reinvest. Now, you know, is exactly. there any, is there any area where, you know, being the cost segregation expert or, or what was the, what was the other term? <laughs> the component depreciation. Component depreci depreciation <laughs> expert. Is there any area in your opinion that this could be used that it's not is there something that the real estate investing world is missing in this um on the whole on the whole i mean 
it's hard to know, you know, there's nothing blanket statement that, you know, the whole world is missing. Because uh, if it's out there, you know, people are going to know about it. And the great thing about cost segregation is that even though it's like this really cool and it's very popular right now, at least, you know, I'm trying to make it popular, right? <laughs> right, um, right. I think I'm doing a good job at it. You're the guy. But, but it really, it's, it's in the books, meaning this is, was developed by and, you know, created and, and um, you know, legislated by the government, right? It's in the tax code, all these rules. So it's not like some, you know, some strange like strategy, some like, you know, tax evasion, you know, kind of tool or whatever. I was literally at a meeting with some guy yesterday, like speaking with this, he's like, okay, this sounds all like good, but like on the kosher scale, like how kosher is this? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> this is, you know, it's, it's all, this is all from in the books, you know, this is from the government. So um, yeah, I think, I think what people are missing out uh, one component may be the, the partial asset disposition component of it, which is upon the sale. Not a lot of people, I mean, I wouldn't say not a lot of people, I, mean, I know at least not everyone uses the strategy, um, but it, it definitely should be considered. Hmm. Good to know. Good to know. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Yona, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. First one, what is the best investment you've ever made? Oh, that's a good one. And I'm going to change this because I just like to be different. Go ahead. Um, you know, I invest time. And I think investing time is not looked at as like a real investment. You know, you're looking at your investing assets. And, and you know, I've done that and that could be boring, but I invest my time which is, you know, in my children. And I think that's really important. I actually have father of six children. And, wow. um, you know, every, every, everyone, you know, every child that you have is totally unique and has so much. So I try to, you know, take time, set aside time, you know, with all of them every day. I can't necessarily with all of them every single day, but I try at least once a week. Um, to take time with each one of them and invest that time because it is so important, especially when they're young. Nice, nice. We were talking before we started recording. Uh, my previous interview before you and I started talking was John Kasman. Uh, that'll be up by now when this goes live. But John's answer to that question was his wife. So, you know, it, oh, it doesn't necessarily need to be a financial investment. I think it's a great. Answer. Amazing. On the other side of that, what is the worst investment? <laughs> Um, the worst investment I ever made, I think was in, it's all, it was also time because I didn't put much money involved in this, but it was a fix and flip, uh, that we did and we brought, you know, we didn't put in much money in it up front, but it was just a disaster because the contractor basically like left the job in the middle and it ended up staying on the market for over a year after, you know, not being sold. So we basically lost, uh, lost money on that. Oh, ouch. All right. Yeah. I'm not a, I'm not a flipper myself, so I, I don't, I don't hold that against you. Well, I'm not either. <laughs> <laughs> Learn that lesson the hard way. So my favorite question of these three is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in investing? The most important lesson that I've learned in investing, and I'll bring this back to finances because I think a lot of your listeners can relate to this, 
um, is not listening to the advice of those who are wiser than me. Um, because, you know, I oftentimes I speak to my father, I speak to, you know, other people who are much senior than me, much more skilled and experienced, you know, and I remember even when I was a teenager, like some ideas, you know, came up and I asked my dad, he'd be like, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. You know, and I always thought that's like, you know, that's something. And it's so true. It's mm. just so true. You just have to listen. So there, you know, there are times when you have this, this pull and this desire, like this is great. And then you, you, you're pulled into the idea of investing in something and your brain starts to convince, you know, the better part of your brain that it's really good. And so you start to ignore you know, those people were more objective uh, in it. And, and that's the advice I would have is always take counsel. And when the counsel is advising you against something, you know, be cautious and, and you know, back away. Interesting. That's, that's a good point. So, Yona, thank you for everything today. If people want to learn more, if they want to have a, a cost segregation study done, where can they get in touch with you? You can find me on LinkedIn. Or bigger pockets. That's a great place. Or I'll drop my email address. Uh, you can shoot me an email there at yweiss at madisonspecs.com. So that's why first name, uh, first letter, first name, W E I S S at Madison Specs, S P E C S. Cool. And that'll be in the show notes as well for anybody uh, that missed it. If they want to get in touch with you, they can click that. And you are absolutely a, a, a machine at using uh, LinkedIn. So you've uh, you've done a great job there for sure. For sure. I actually just sent you a connection request because I saw we weren't connected. Uh, how, how is that even possible? I don't I'm know. Have to accept that. <laughs> I don't know how that's possible. I don't know either. All right. Well, thanks once again, Yona. I appreciate all the knowledge you shared with us today and, and all the hard work that you did on, uh, on my property in Amarillo. And uh, I don't know. Thanks once again. All right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. To everybody, thank you for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It's a very big help. If you know anyone that could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the fold. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week, and we'll talk to you on the next episode. Bye-bye.